0: Hello, and welcome to The Block Explorer. I'm Colin Brightfield.
1: Hey, folks, I'm Cash Upton.
0: The Block Explorer is here to educate and inspire you about the world of crypto and NFTs.
1: We'll do deep dives into critical concepts for understanding what's happening and discuss the current events shaping the space.
0: We're making this podcast for the curious, the free thinkers, and the change makers that propel us forward.
1: As we embark on our adventures, remember that none of this is financial advice and crypto can be risky.
0: In this episode, we explore the idea of anonymity and privacy as it relates to the world of crypto and Web3. And this is, I think, a really important conversation to have right now because we've seen a lot of instances in the news about how uh, blockchain transactions have been um, published or, uh, you know, uh, censored in some ways, and so people are like, "Oh wait, I thought I thought crypto, I thought Bitcoin was private, and and what's happening?" And so I think this is a really good episode to elucidate and enlighten what's actually happening when you talk about anonymity versus privacy and how that functions in the cryptocurrency ecosystem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the uh, current events of uh, sanction dodging and uh, you know, people talking about Russia, um, if they could hide their wealth in um, crypto and all that. So I, I think this is a, a really good time to have this conversation.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely one of the biggest misconceptions people have is that cryptocurrency is private. And what you need to understand is actually this technology is public distributed ledger technology. So, public's in the name, right so the, like a network like Bitcoin it's the blockchain technology it's a it's a big database essentially that everyone can see. that means anyone who wants to can look at the data going being entered into this giant ledger, this giant database of transactions. It's an open history, and so you can it's all there for anyone to look at
1: and those transactions could often be anonymous if we don't know who what person is linked to that bitcoin account but at the end of the day you know exactly what that account itself is doing
0: yeah because wallet addresses are essentially anonymous right they're a string of letters and numbers it's usually like you know a hash and it's um anonymous to the point that we necessarily don't know who owns that wallet but you can but the the actions of that wallet that entity can be seen and you know their transactions can be seen on the blockchain and then, what can happen is someone can dox that wallet address by maybe interacting with a doxed account, like their Coinbase account, or like their Binance account, or whatever an account that has their private information, their name, and stuff like that, an identity linked to it. And then, the, you know, you can make you can maybe make an educated guess about who owns a wallet that way.
1: Right. And just for our listeners, dox uh, means to make public the uh, um, the uh, who someone is.
0: Yeah. So when we talk about these open, uh, public, distributed ledgers, it's like if, if you imagine just what J.P. Morgan or Wells Fargo published all the transactions that were happening across all of their accounts for everyone to see, who cared to look, and made that access free to anyone and throughout the entire world. I mean, that might that might piss off a few people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and we have seen some big instances, and um, it is important to recognize that there are people who stay anonymous on crypto um, not because they're necessarily doing something shady, but because they might have massive amounts of wealth that they've accumulated and they don't necessarily want to showcase that to the world and ex- uh, potentially expose themselves to risk.
0: But you like, but essentially though what is happening on Bitcoin Ethereum though is like What's it would it would be like if Wells Fargo or JP Morgan just showed all their bank account information you maybe you would just see like maybe this string of letters you know this string of numbers you don't know who owns that bank account, but you could see it has a billion dollars and that a billion dollars did spend this money on this yacht or this money on this thing so you could and there's actually Twitter accounts that do the track different what they call like whale alerts where you can just see like big transactions that are happening across the chain. And those are just published automatically by a bot to a Twitter account. So um, I think, you know, it brings up this conversation of privacy and transparency and there's a um, definitely, you know, attention there and privacy is really important because privacy is what allows people to have some sort of freedom you know, because they they need to be able to transact and have some economic freedom. But we also want to have transparency and that we want to be able to trust these protocols and trust that these systems we're building are valid and accurate.
1: Go ahead, Cash. Well, I'm just going to tag on to the end of that the transparency argument for uh, government and, uh, against corruption and you know if there's a a ledger of every activity that elected officials or public funding is going towards think about how easy that would be to actually audit you know where your taxes go and who's getting grafts and and who's being shady and corrupt
0: yeah because we have right now our right, this the, the political giving system i mean that you they they try to make it transparent in some ways, but then you have right these uh P like these PACs, political action committees, which are kind of like these new ways to like just kind of raise money. And so there's always like the cat and mouse game of like, okay, like you need to be transparent here, but then people always find a way to to donate money to causes in a very um ambiguous way. And so to have some kind of, you know, transparency, it does help, you know, bring more clarity and and, and fair justice for all these kind of functions for the in the, in the public sphere. And and that's kind of like, when you look at like blockchains, like Bitcoin or Ethereum, they're public goods. Right. And so the, the fact that they need to be uh, validated and be able to be seen by everyone is part of kind of in their, in their infrastructure and in, in the value system that, that they were created.
1: What is privacy? Why is it important?
0: Yeah. I was going to say like, there, I think private can be misleading, right? Because you have the idea of your bank, the computer network is private because only certain users have permission to access it. But then you have something like the blockchain like Ethereum, where it's permissionless and all the data is public. So it makes it really hard to implement like a private decentralized finance application on something like Ethereum because the just the nature of it is permissionless and open. So I mean, imagine you were like using Uber on a public blockchain and every time you requested, a ride or ordered food, like your location, your destination, all the other personal details would be shown to everyone. Like, would you want to use that app, Cash? Would you be like, okay, like everyone can just see where I'm going and doing all the things and everything I'm eating at the time I want. <laughs> yeah, Man, I don't be, know how popular that would be.
1: That'd be a big compromise in, in uh, privacy for sure.
0: So then, you ha- so then you have privacy, you know, and then you also have the idea of access control, which is another like issue. So if you think of like a service like Audius, which is a streaming service, that unlimited that offers unlimited free access to its entire catalog uh but you have to have the access keys which are which are protected from outside security so it's like you, this idea that you need to have you can you have like partial privacy based upon access granted to a select few so it's not like completely open like ethereum but it's it's access to to s- based upon certain criteria
1: some people when i first Told them about the crypto space. They were talking about privacy coins. I feel like that was maybe just kind of like a a big umbrella word for probably a lot of the more nitty gritty applications that we'll get into. But would they essentially be talking about a different blockchain that has more privacy embedded into it? Yeah,
0: exactly. So they might be referring to the tokens of that chain that um, are that chain might have more uh, privacy characteristics, like you said, built into the infrastructure. And we'll talk more about that later um, in the episode about some of the projects that are
1: building some privacy solutions. So is crypto good for doing things that are illegal? I hear everyone in the news saying that people are doing illegal things with crypto, but I feel like people have been doing more illegal things with cash money for a lot longer. Yeah,
0: I mean, all the data points to the fact that crypto is very, used very little for illicit activity. Chain analysis um, estimated that less than 1% of um crypto transactions are are fraudulent or illicit and and you're right like you're right like pop culture and government officials they they tend to use crypto as a stand in for uh shadowy super coders as Elizabeth Warren likes to say uh, but the thing is if you see if you if you pay attention to the news you find that uh most of the instances of these people who do try to use cryptocurrency for hacks or um shady things they get caught because they can't move their money out of anywhere without everyone seeing it and a lot of them end up just giving the money back like we saw that with um one of the hacks recently with the, I think it was the um polymarket hack i can't remember exactly but the, the the hackers like they they moved it and then they were just like everyone was watching with the wallets and so they just ended up giving it back and then there was the Bitfinex um hack which that couple that strange couple that got, got um caught and they yeah they tried to move like a some money out of a, one of the Bitcoin addresses, and they were just like, okay, to like a a doxed account, and they're like, okay, like we got you, you know. So like it's public, and so like what what what's happens is you have the people who it's like their hobby to just if they if they notice a hack, they create systems that like will monitor these wallets, and if there's any kind of like transactions, they they map it out, and it's like it's it's called blockchain forensics, and some people do it as a hobby, but there's also companies like Chain Analysis. And I'm sure, you know, these, you know, like the FBI and the CIA and all these other people they're very good at their job. And I'm, I'm sure like, you know, this is why it's like the, it's like the worst thing to use if you're, if you're trying to be secretive and,
1: you know, it's, it's all out there. They're built to be transparent. Um, and that is, you know, what at the end of the day is, is what makes them so powerful is that it's a public ledger that everyone has access to. And I love what you likened it to earlier it, as a public good. And that's, you know, a lot of what um, we were talking about with the green pill and Kevin Iwaki is, you know, building these public goods and funding them uh, because they are uh, so crucial to our society and, and bringing people out of poverty and, and saving and solving some of these massive coordination issues. And to solve these massive coordination issues, we need to have a trust layer,
0: right? We need to have a, a system that allows us to trust each other and to reward and align our incentives towards the goals and our mission. So that's what these blockchains are. They're big, giant trust machines. So we don't have to have met, you don't need to know the person, you don't have to met this person, but you can transact with this person. You can create a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO with with people you've never met around the world with a common goal and all put financial and resources and human capital resources towards this goal using these mechanisms to coordinate. And so one of the ways is that these, these mechanisms create trust is through a consensus mechanism. And, and I think this is important to understand because why is transparency... Uh, built into the infrastructure of blockchains. It's because they are trust machines. And we and to have trust, we need to have transparency to see what's going on. Otherwise, someone could just be doing corrupted stuff behind the scenes. And that's just kind of more what we already have with Wall Street and our government institutions that have just like a bunch of unelected officials making decisions for everyone else. So, anyway, that's how blockchains work. They 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 build trust. So You can observe how they build trust by going into things like Etherscan, where you can just see and look at each block being added. Etherscan.io, and that shows you all the stuff that's happening on Ethereum. It's like a giant Google search engine for all the data on a blockchain network. So it's fun just to go there and poke around, and each block gets added, and you can see all the transactions, the transaction IDs. You can see for how much ETH was sent or whatever ERC, whatever tokens, or whatever NFT was moved. And it, And it just keeps updating, and then they have they have these um and for Solana, it's like SolScan is one of them, and um, there's one for Bitcoin, there's a bunch for Bitcoin. And, you know, any all these blockchains have have blockchain block explorers <laughs> maybe right. that's where we got our name. I don't know cash
1: oh and and um with that, it, like you said, it's all validated in the public, so there's um one thing that we that I want to ask about that we talk about is uh how um Different users can validate transactions across different chains, and the most decentralized uh, best for the public chains are are ones that are argued to be able to be validated and uh, confirmed by just any random user. You don't have to be a power user with crazy technology, but being able to um confirm the legitimacy of transactions by anyone,
0: yeah, that's like one of the core values of web three is this idea that decentralization. Means that anyone in the community that has the desire should be able to verify the activity on the chain. Should be able to look at the chain and say, "Okay, this is this is correct," and um, that that varies, right? But but this is important because not all chains are created the same. Not all blockchains, you know, are you know, exist in this way. But the, the important thing is that we don't want to have one central authority deciding what is true and accurate. We want the trust derived from the community and checking the chain based upon the different mechanisms for providing um, consensus. And this is important because, you know, there's no, like, one governing body that uh, runs, like, Ethereum or Bitcoin, right? It's an open community. And because of that, you know, you have to have this entire consensus mechanism. There's no one person that's going to say, okay, it has to be this way.
1: Right, and those consensus mechanisms um, would that, for our listeners to learn a little bit more of, is that where they are either doing crazy computational cryptographic uh, like proof of work versus proof of stake and at the base layer of how they're deciding to validate?
0: Yeah. I don't want to get too technical with that, but yeah, there's a uh, proof of work and proof of stake are two different mechanisms that are used because you essentially each block is a set of transactions, right? So you have all these transactions that get grouped together into a block and then that block gets checked through a consensus mechanism, which is proof of work, which is solving a hard math problem or proof of stake, which is you deposit some tokens in some value in, and that's kind of your deposit to say that you'll be a good actor in the system. And if you're not, then your, your stake gets slashed or taken away. And so once that block gets validated based upon the mechanism for creating trust, that block gets added to the chain. So it's a chain of blocks. And then another block will get added with another set of transactions on top of that block. And so it's just kind of like the, the game uh, Snake where it just keeps eating another piece, another piece. But that to eat that another piece to add to the chain, it has to be true and accurate based on the consensus mechanism of the blockchain. So the infrastructure itself, these values are built into how these blockchains work. And so that's why they don't really have the privacy thing that we, we, we're all talking about because they weren't built that way. They were built in, the, in this radically transparent way on purpose.
1: Oh, to, to it'd be so cool to interview the founder of Bitcoin and, and like do, do a deep dive into you know what their thought was. But they're pretty anonymous still, right? No one really Satoshi knows who they Nakamoto. are. Satoshi
0: Nakamoto. I mean, it could be more than one person, Satoshi Nakamoto.
1: Right. Yeah. And and they built this uh, blockchain Bitcoin it, to to have values that were um, really important to them, right? And of of uh, transparency and um, public ledger um, technology.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to touch on, like you said, like they're still anonymous, Satoshi Nakamoto, and they actually have a wallet that people monitor, and it has a bunch of Bitcoin in, it, and it hasn't moved, and has this, you know, for uh, I guess like 13, 14 years now. So, what's the difference between anonymity versus privacy? Cash,
1: and then anonymity might mean that you don't know who it is, but it's actually not necessarily private because it's all a public ledger. So, I could we could see what Bitcoin wallet is doing what, but we don't necessarily know who that is linked to in the real world. Exactly.
0: So, there's a and and I think that distinction sometimes gets lost, and I think it's important to point out that. Yes, you can have a wallet that we don't know who owns it, but you can still see what it's doing. You can see that this wallet has a bunch of these cool NFTs and they're like a great like NFT collector, but you might not know who owns that wallet. But you can see that they have all these cool NFTs and they're buying and selling them. And so that they have an anonymity, but they don't have privacy.
1: So the argument, if... A Russian oligarch was to evade sanctions with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, the argument why that would be stupid is that at some point there would be a, doxed, a documented transaction of converting a bunch of rubles or dollars into Bitcoin. And then we would know exactly where all that Bitcoin went after that because it's a public ledger. And then people could infer based on where it happened and what account was linked to it, a, a good likelihood of whose account that is
0: exactly and furthermore the scale at which they would probably um convert the amount of like the amount of money that they would be moving into crypto would be significant enough too to just set off some red flags as well and so that and then it would also be you know very easy to track that large sum of money because you have to remember the entire crypto market cap right now is about 1.5 trillion dollars so i mean if you were to move you know even moving a hundred million dollars around is 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 pretty significant in the crypto ecosystem, and so you know these oligarchs that are billionaires I mean for them to actually move around the the money that they would need to make impact um uh, on a large scale would be very easily watched and also there's just not enough liquidity in a lot of these places to even do that. you know I have to remember that they have to there has to be. To buy a hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin, there has to be an exchange that they have access to that has a hundred million dollars of Bitcoin that, that's willing to sell it to them. And like you said, if they have a a wallet address that's somehow linked to a, a doxed account, um, so like like so basically, to make your point is that because of anonymity, even though anonymity might not give you complete, it isn't necessarily like full it's not, you know, it's not privacy. It does give you people the ability to track who you are in some ways. And so anonymity is kind of like a slippery thing in crypto because people might kind of say, oh, well, I'm anonymous. or And they might believe that gives them some kind of privacy. But like we've just been saying with this example of like an
1: oligarch trying to avoid saying sanctions, it actually is a really slippery issue. And on the flip side of it, there's a lot of values in the United States as well as across the world of privacy. Uh, People take their privacy very seriously. And, you know, the Fourth Amendment, um, no unlawful search and seizure and all that. You know, um, we we really value that if there is not a justified, you know, warranted reason by a court through due process, then we get to remain private. So, you know, for the longest time, (laughs) cash has been private. We made this joke on stage at Lucidity. Like, if the government tried to issue cash right now. Hey, we have this novel idea for paper currency that's completely private and untraceable. And you don't know how much is hiding in the mattress or how much you send overseas. Like no one would go for it. And so there is a very resounding uh, call to action to make more private transactions on the blockchain. Like you said, if you call an Uber on the blockchain, you don't want them to know where your house is, the whole public to know where your house is. So there's some pretty cool... Solutions in the works that that we want to share with folks of of how blockchain is moving towards some privacy solutions.
0: Yeah, because privacy is important, and it's it, it's it it's what preserves you know our sense of identity and our sense of um, of who we are to be able to choose which parts of ourselves we show to the world. And this argument that a lot of people make of like oh like well. I have nothing to hide, like I can share everything. they, they, they just kind of miss the mark and they don't understand that um, just because you have nothing to hide doesn't mean that you, that privacy isn't isn't valuable to you, you know and privacy isn't isn't useful and, and valuable because what makes us who we are and us and our personality is our ability to choose uh, which parts of ourselves we make public and at which time. And, you know, we're living in this world of Web2, right, where privacy has pretty much just been stripped away from us by these big corporations and Web2 companies like Meta and Facebook and Google and Amazon. And like, we don't, all our data that is, could be very, very, very private data, you know, like all your things that you're buying on Amazon, you know, if someone was to look at that or like everything you've looked at, you know, across the internet over time, like all that stuff, you know, adds up. And so. What Web3, you know, is doing is it's actually letting us reclaim our data and it's letting us have new ways of creating identity and owning that data through private key, public key cryptography, through having a crypto wallet where you have your sovereign and you have custody over your own assets and over your own data. And so these privacy solutions are coming and I think, you know, it's, it's the next evolution in the space. And I was at a couple of workshops actually at East Denver where people were saying, you know, privacy is a huge issue in the space that needs to be solved. So I think it's it's really cool to be talking about this because there are some cool solutions that are being built right now. But it's also related to just a bigger conversation about um, freedom and identity, and you know, we're kind of live, you know, in the metaverse and all this kind of stuff. And so as we're talking about these, you know, this kind of nitty gritty of like, oh, what's anonymity versus privacy? Um, I think it's also to understand that this is a big it, it, this is important because it relates to these bigger issues that in this bigger conversation that is happening uh, on the on the world stage right now a, across different
1: countries and different choices of how they're using this technology. Well, let's give a few examples for uh listeners. There's the Secret Network SCRT abbreviation. Uh and that was the first ever privacy preserving blockchain with smart contracts, right? Launched in 2016.
0: Yeah it started in 2016 finally launched in September 2020. And it uses secret contract technology that combines the programmabil- programmability of Ethereum with the privacy of Monero. And it uses both on- and off-chain storage for secure data management. And it saw um, some different projects release in October 21, including a messaging app called After Mail and a decentralized exchange called Sienna Swap.
1: And can you remind our listeners what Monero is? Renaro is just a decentralized
0: uh, financial payment system. It's a DeFi payment system. I think it's kind of interesting, though, what, what uh, the Secret Network has a cool claim to fame because they created a partnership with OpenSea and director Quentin Tarantino to release a series of secret NFTs. And these right. are secret agents.
1: Yeah, I saw that. That looked pretty fun. Um, and what, they're encouraging users to kind of like uh, go to secret events or get secret swag and and what defend the privacy of decentralized web.
0: Yeah, so they're making a kind of an activist NFT community around it, which is which is cool. How they're tying in those values into their their, their art project and in, and Quentin Tarantino, that's kind of awesome too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, Miramax Max won't rug him on that one. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's into the privacy <laughs> solutions because he's just like like the. <laughs> If
0: the big studios have been on his case.
1: Uh, What's the other one? We have Oasis Network. uh, Oasis Network, yes. November 2020. And uh, it's a pretty similar goal of uh, what being a layer one smart contract execution with privacy.
0: Yeah, it has architecture that can handle up to a thousand transactions per second and allows several contracts to be run independently in parallel layers called paratimes.
1: If they have a high TPS, are they going to be sacrificing decentralization potentially? That could be true.
0: You know, high TPS isn't always it, people, a lot of people focus on the transactions per second. Like it's the, the, the one metric that matters the most, but there's a lot of other things to look at. And, you know, this is a newer, this is a newer project. So, you know, it takes time for these things to fully develop, but they do have um, some inc- exciting projects being built on them. The crypto safe Alliance, which is a, just a nice um, organization that's really focused on privacy and Building out this ecosystem, and and it's a nice cohort
1: of of
0: uh, st- key stakeholders in the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, we we like seeing the protocols like CryptoSafe uh, forming that are you know helping uh, protect users and and keep us secure and uh, protect against bad actors. So um, it's not just shadowy super coders trying to rug you. There's a lot, you know, the majority of the crypto industry is uh, very intentional people trying to build a better future and a better web, safer web.
0: Yeah. And there's a few layer two solutions that we've come across too that are working on privacy and layer two is like another layer on top of Ethereum. So these are solutions that are going to help Ethereum scale, but they're scaling with a lean towards privacy that's
1: built into them. And because they're a layer two built on top of Ethereum, they have the same cryptographic uh, safety assurances of of the code, right? So, you know, hacks are harder and you can't, you can be more secure with your funds because you're not bridging to a different blockchain. It's built on top of Ethereum layer one.
0: Yeah, so you have the cryptographic guarantees of Ethereum without the high gas fees, high transactional costs of being on the layer one because it's essentially it's like going to the suburbs instead of being in Manhattan.
1: So one of the layer twos is FALA, P-H-A-L-A. Uh, and that was founded back in 2018.
0: Yeah, it's it got two grants from the Web3 Foundation, and it's reported that Polkadot founder Gavin Wood is one of his favorite projects. It's built on the framework substrate and it provides privacy enhanced permissionless computing with smart
1: contract functionality. Yeah, Polkadot is a pretty cool concept too. We were just talking about that. You got a quick one or two sentence explanation for our users about why it's so cool?
0: Polkadot's great because it, it, it's a multi-chain ecosystem and it adopts when another chain connects to it, it, it all the other chains adopt the same uh, attributes of the chain that connects to it. So it's a, it creates these um, really powerful network effects and you can have chains that are very application specific connect to it and all the other chains then can interact with that
1: chain and adopt those, uh, that compatibility. Yeah, that's a super cool concept that we want to poke into more later. Uh, but switching back to Follett, it's running on the Kusama network, right? Is that what it? Uh, what I read? Yeah, the, it's running on the Kusama network,
0: and they have a few projects and components that are in the works. They have a dark wallet, a Polkadot-based wallet, enabling users to convert assets on multiple blockchains into secret ones. They have the dark pool, privacy-preserving uh, decentralized exchange, which is a DEX. They have a tr- cross train bridge connecting the Pogata ecosystem to Facebook's DM. So there's all different um, things being built there. It's still, you know, it's still new, but it's it's uh, got a lot of things going on.
1: Yeah, the Kusama network was a new one to me just recently, and we're doing some deep dives because we're getting ready to interview Remark. Uh, and- NFT protocol composability type, um, application. So, um, yeah, Kusama was a a cool one to learn about and I'm excited to to see more of what they're doing with it.
0: Yeah. And then the final, uh, project that we wanted to highlight is Automata and, uh, the Polygon co-founder, uh, Sandy, Naiwal said, uh, privacy has been, and will continue to be one of the salient features of web three economy. And we appreciate the opportunity to onboard Automata to address the pragmatic needs of projects as they grow. So there yeah. you have one of the co-founders of Polygon saying how important he sees privacy to be in the future of Web three, and he's they've they've um, you know been supporting Automata with, with uh, their resources, and and uh, we're we're excited to see out what they're building. They created something called uh, Conveyor, which I really liked.
1: Right, and this one is also a layer two built on top of Ethereum, so they'll have the sec- uh, security of Ethereum. Yep.
0: And they also have partnerships with Avalanche and Polygon, like I mentioned. They built this project called Convair, which is to combat MEV, which is minor extractable value, or some people call it maximal extractable value, which is when people reorder transactions in the block to get advantageous um, spreads Essentially, so this is, is a way that you can do it where you can make a lot of extra money essentially by having access to how the blocks get the transactions in a certain block get ordered, and you can front run transactions or reorder them in such a way and, and then put, insert your own kind of little transactions in between. And this is like a the thing that's just like happens in blockchains. And what they did with Create Conveyor is they made this system to combat that where you have front, first in, first out transactions, just like a conveyor belt.
1: Yeah, that's one that I thought was really cool, actually, because when I talk to some more skeptical folks about blockchain technology and then they hear about gas fees being what puts you in the queue line, it sounds a little less public, good, democratic when if you got more money, you can push a transaction in quicker.
0: Yeah, well, that's not that's not all. This it's not the same for all all blockchains. You know that they're not all have that infrastructure. But this this is interesting, and from a privacy standpoint, Convera because it's essentially uh, a fully private design. So it doesn't let actors with privileged access observe and therefore influence how transactions are settled on the chain. Because if you want to do minor minor extractable value, you have to be able to see like the transactions that are that are coming through. But they hide them with this with this conveyor privacy solution. So therefore, it prevents front running or deletion of transactions to, for from miners to influence how
1: transactions are completed. Cool. So yeah, for um, for like a free speech argument of you know putting code onto the blockchain as being a, a mechanism of free speech, then this this really um, helps with that. The conveyor protocol.
0: Yeah, and and. It's important, you know, I think you know to because to address these issues like MEV. I mean, M E V is kind of uh, an obscure issue for maybe for new user new listeners or um new users of crypto. But it's an it's an important thing to understand that there's a bunch of people essentially just freeloading uh, all these all this money, all this crypto for every block that's that's created because they can do minor extractable value and they just write these scripts. And they're just collecting, essentially, free money and from your transactions, and that's that's a problem, <laughs> and uh, and there hasn't been very good solutions for it. Different different um, blockchains and infra- designs have proposed different solutions, and I think it will get solved eventually. But um, this is just a cool way I think that they're, they're addressing it. On Arbitrum, they have a sequencer uh, that they actually kind of have like a centralized sequencer that they're running kind of um addresses it but there's no you, perfect solution yet
1: will you mind us if uh proof of stake has mev
0: it, it, it's it's different in proof of stake uh but you know i don't want to get too much as in an mev podcast yeah. but i think you know it's just important for you know we can we could if we could do a whole podcast and uh, this you know papers and papers written about mev so if you're interested in that i mean just give it a google search and you can go down the rabbit hole but I think it's just important from this perspective that the privacy um, solution is actually solving another problem, which is MEV. By making something private, you're limiting the, um, you know, how MEV can function. If people can't if you can't see the transactions that you need to be able to reorder to make profit from. Then how are you going to reorder them and make profit from them?
1: Yeah, that sounds like two stone birds right there. Yeah. So I
0: mean, and then I think we you touched on another point I think that's really interesting at the beginning of the episode, and I want to circle back to it about uh, people who function as anonymous in the crypto ecosystem. And we're since we're talking about this argument of like or this discussion between anonymity and privacy, and how blockchains are not private, they can be anonymous, and we actually do have like anonymous actors in the web three world. And I think that's something that also makes people that are looking in from the outside, scratch their head. Like, how is there, how is there a company that's being run by like two apes and a squirrel and a kid and a blue cat? And, and how come I can't know their real names and how do they raise $400 million when no one even knows who they are?
1: (laughs) Right. And let's
0: touch on that. Let's talk about that a little bit.
1: They must have a lot of on-chain history of doing cool stuff, even being anonymous, to you know get a lot of that um, credibility.
0: Yeah, so that's one thing that you can talk that you can bring up, right? Is well, if they have been in the ecosystem for a while and they've been building up their on-chain activity, meaning they're doing actions that require them to have signed transactions that get uploaded to different blockchains, whether it's participating in a DAO, decentralized autonomous organization, and voting. Or buying and selling different tokens or staking certain things, you know, so like you can you can see it that way. But um still, you know, it it's still kind of you know disconcerting for someone to be like, well, how do how do how do I trust this someone who's just like literally a cartoon? Like I show up to Zoom calls and they're just a cartoon on there.
1: And we've seen some NFT projects specifically uh get rug pulled, right? The term of uh Having the founder leave after the initial uh, sale, uh, and that's typically done by anonymous people. If you are doxed and documented and people know who you are, you're probably going to have some angry emails or people come to your door. So there is the the argument that a lot of um, projects can get a little bit more security or credibility if the people are not anonymous.
0: Yeah, so there's definitely that, that argument that if you have a project that's run by anonymous founders, or anonymous creators, especially like in, in the NFT system. Like it's like it's it it does raise red flags because it's like they could totally rug and just dip and with the money and run, essentially, and there's no real recourse because no one knows who they were. Um, but on the other hand, you know, some of the other argument, you know, that people make is like a lot of these people um will become very famous or influential and they don't want to have that fame, or it could be they live in places and jurisdictions where what they're building in decentralized finance is illegal and they could face uh, repercussions for what they're building or what they're deploying um and things like that and so there's a various amount of reasons why people might choose to be anonymous you know i mean if because also people can see their wallet addresses and they can see how much money they do have and so if you have a very successful nft artist or a very successful nft project and you're one of these founders and all of a sudden your <clears throat> wallet address shows that you have you know, millions of dollars and then people now know who you are. I mean, you can become a target, um, not just like in, in the physical world, but also in the digital world and for hacks and social engineering things and like, and, and cons and things like that. So I get why, you know, certain people do choose to be doxed. I mean, or, or, or stay anonymous. It just depends, I think a lot of situational, um, things, but I do think that there, is, there are kind of solutions that people have in the, in this kind of argument is you can kind of be hybrid doxed or hybrid anonymous where you might have your, your identity known to a few other trusted people in the web3 crypto ecosystem that are doxed and then they can vouch for your your pseudonym or your anonymous identity for for the rest of the ecosystem and that's when that's like one way i've seen people do it they kind of like navigate that fine line but um it, i do think you know It is interesting to see that, you know, crypto is the only place really where you can have someone who's a founder of a billion-dollar company that's completely anonymous.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and, and, you know, we do value the privacy and anonymity. I mean, how many authors of books used to go by pen names and, you know, not give up their true identity? You know, it it happens often in our society. And uh, I think it's a good reminder that that people do value that. And not everyone wants to be uh, crazy famous.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think this. yeah, I think there's, These arguments, you know, for both. And I think it's just important, you know, for our listeners just to understand like what the uh, nuances of this discussion are. And I think that's what I, you know, we really wanted to have this episode to talk about, you know, as we get to the conclusion, I think it's important to understand that your blockchain activity is not private. If you're transacting on a public blockchain, it's essentially broadcasting your financial activity to the internet.
1: Public distributed ledger.
0: Yeah, and then transparency is part of the ethos of the crypto community, and it's reflected in the way blockchains are designed and how they're verified and how we create that trust layer and coordinate.
1: Yeah, I think this is really important because we have a pretty good level of confidence in the U.S. government. You know, there are some people out there who would argue with that quite a bit, but there's very little, you know, corruption compared to a lot of other places in the world. So, you know, we may not see this as being the end-all be-all, but a lot of people all over the world could benefit greatly from having a better view into their government spending. Yeah,
0: and it's important to note there's a difference between being anonymous and privacy. And you can have an anonymous crypto wallet, but the, and the transaction at- activity is publicly available which is not necessarily private, right? It's
1: not just you or just people you choose to see. And there are attempts in the works and some pretty cool solutions to allow folks to, to be safe and confident transacting on the blockchain and in some things. I mean, hey, what if you're, you know, going to throw a surprise party for someone or or buy your girlfriend an engagement ring? Do you want everything to be public all the time? That, what happens to the surprises then, huh?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of reasons, and like you said, and so I think it's cool to see these solutions being rolled out. And I think this is a one area of crypto and blockchain that is going to need to become more mature before you know you have even more mainstream adoption, because where people are still kind of reeling from of the just blatant just taking of all of our data without our consent. And so now you know we don't want to just we don't want to make web 3 and just have it be the same version of web 2 and not have any improvement right we that that's we have this chance to kind of rewrite some of the uh values that get built into the code right this is what kind of one of the things that we talk about all the time is that code ends up encapsulating values and and because code influences people's behavior and so this is important to understand is that as we build out this you know these we get to this Things are changing, there's disruption, right? And so with this change and this disruption, we have the opportunity to lay new ground rules, new infrastructure, and how do we want to do that? And how can we make sure that it's better than what it was before?
1: I'm really excited for this because this privacy could allow us to monetize our data. Zuck doesn't need to have control and sell all of our data on our use. Why can't we own that, have it private, and leverage it? Take some money out of it.
0: Yep. Cryptocurrency pushes the power to the edges and not the center. And that's what's awesome about it. So on that note, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave us a review.
1: I'd like to give a big thank you to our friend Matthew Patrick Donner, who's responsible for the Block Explorer production, including our music, mixing, and editing.
0: Thank you for exploring the world of blockchain with us. Crypto is changing the world and we're here to ensure that you're ready.
1: Please subscribe to this podcast and do share with your friends and family.
0: We look forward to sharing our next episode with you. Cheers. Cheers.